the Republican Party in the House is in complete chaos, complete disarray right now. You think? Well, he's right about the jokers to the right. Oh, boy. <laughs> Welcome to the broadcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, Coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, WLRI 93FM in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, on iTunes, on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, RadioOrNot.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, and Radio Sputnik five days a week. The broadcast is usually hosted, as the name would suggest, by Brad Friedman of the Brad blog, but today you got me, Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, trying to make some sense of it all. <laughs> and I can see it makes no sense at all. You know, my goodness, Brad and Desi take a couple of days off and the world goes mad. And we're going to cover a lot of territory today. Not only the latest shootings... Yes, I said shootings. Oh, my goodness. But we're going to start <laughs> with the soap opera in Washington, D.C. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Oh, and next, we take you to Capitol Hill where the inmates have taken over the asylum. Yeah, I mean, you when you think things can't get any crazier, you know, yesterday we told you that at the last minute, the 11th hour, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the speaker-in-waiting, said, eh, never mind, right? He tried to, you know, lay it off on uh, something other than uh, either the ethics complaint filed against him uh, by Alan Grayson, or uh, the allegations of an extramarital affair. <laughs> but with more information coming out today, I think it, it's all of those things combined. The bottom line is, what was that you said, Chris Wallace? The Republican Party in the House is in complete chaos, complete disarray right now. Yes, it is. I know just the person to call on to help us navigate the chaos. On the line with us now is the Washington Bureau Chief of the Huffington Post, Ryan Grimm. And Ryan, I got to ask if there are days when you wake up and you think that you're on candid camera or, you know, for the for the kids, you've been punked. Yeah, I mean, we uh, were quite skeptical, um, even as people were saying that uh, McCarthy is stepping down. He was drawing. It wasn't until really that uh, members of Congress, you know, came streaming out of the room long before they were supposed to and said, hey, this meeting's over. McCarthy's out. Wow. Like, wait, really? Really? Yeah. (laughs) 
Amazing. Right? This was the last thing that I thought would happen. But then again, I'm not as invested in what goes on in Capitol Hill as you are. But this took everyone by surprise. Um, even but, People but, don't tend to turn down power when right. they have been hunting it since they were five years old. Right. But, but were, there, were, there were sort of, there were hints. Because obviously, um, earlier in the week, we got that weird news story. Walter Jones circulates this memo among his uh, uh, Republican colleagues, sort of warning anybody who's going to run for a position in leadership, if you've got basically skeletons in your closet, don't go there. It was a very cryptic but ominous Warning mm-hmm. that now in retrospect makes sense. Do you think he was sending out a message to Kevin McCarthy or do you think this was something entirely different? Yes, and he, he has said oh. uh, that the misdeeds or whatever the word he used uh, was referring specifically to, to uh, affairs. Ah. Uh, so he has given a little more clarity. And, you know, we, we also know that, uh, you know, he is a home state colleague with the uh, with with the, the better half of, of that rumor. Okay, right. Oh, right. North Carolina. Yes, right. there's these rumors that have been swirling about an affair between Kevin McCarthy and uh, Renee Elmers, a congresswoman from North Carolina, and apparently this has been making the rounds. Although you know um, uh, the traditional media figures haven't gone there because it's a rumor. And I, I remember back when. The Inquirer was floating the the rumor about John Edwards, right? And nobody in the media would talk about it, even though it seemed it seemed like there was some there there. It took a while mm-hmm. before more evidence came out, and obvious, and then it became a news, an actual news story. This has been floating around on a you know a, a ridiculous right wing blog, but uh, it seems like where there's smoke, there's fire. But so that's not all, though. Apparently, according to a piece that you have up at, at Huffington Post. Yesterday morning, Thursday morning, the day that the first vote was going to be taken in the process for Kevin McCarthy to move into the speaker's position, um, at 8 o'clock a.m. Thursday morning, an email from Steve Bauer, a Chicago-based Republican donor, um, sent another letter uh, or an email to Kevin McCarthy. Now, this one was more threatening, yes? Uh, Yes, Uh, you know, and... This is a guy who has the somehow has the emails of you know something like a hundred members of Congress and and a lot of top uh, outside conservatives like Mike Huckabee and, and others uh, and and so yeah he was he was uh, going after McCarthy and uh, had him BCC'd for a while and then moved him to the CC field to make sure everybody knew that McCarthy was on this too and and you know we've since learned that. Uh, that a lot of members of Congress did actually approach him about these rumors, um, particularly because of uh, this person alerting them to it. Um, so, you know, so we only ended up reporting on on it when it when it affected the the speaker race, and it, and it became something that he had to respond to. Right. Uh, so whatever uh, he and Congresswoman Elmers do in their private time, I don't I don't particularly care. Uh, but if it you know, if it starts to affect the speaker's race, then it actually, um, you know, does become pretty pretty relevant. Yeah, you know, and I'm reading your account of the story 
not from your the pieces that you guys have written about it at Huffington Post, but from your email. Uh, I think everyone should subscribe to your bad news email. And you can at tinyletter.com slash Ryan Grimm. tinyletter.com slash Ryan Grimm. Uh, so free for life. Free for life. Look at that. And you get sort of behind the scenesy stuff, including you started <laughs> this week's uh, uh, little newsletter by saying you had your own listicle version of Dewey defeats Truman because I did I woke up yesterday and I saw your headline um, 13 things you don't need to know about Kevin McCarthy now that he won't be speaker uh, you had changed that from you know 13 I things you might 13 and, things you <laughs> might as well know yeah <laughs> since he's gonna be speaker yes and it was, okay so you don't need to know but the, and then you tell the story about how you and Sam Stein and Michael Calderon worked on this another story that really doesn't matter. I mean, and it really wouldn't matter. As you said, what these adults do in the privacy of their own bedroom should be their own business. But when we start having this almost middle school-like behavior from some of the members of the caucus who are fighting with the other part of the caucus, and they're saying, you're having an affair with her, and if you don't step down, we're going to tell everybody. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the United States Congress. (laughs) Do we have any adults there? Uh, it's not clear if we do or not. Uh, rem- amazingly, though, today, for only the fifth time in about 80 years, uh, 218 signatures were reached for a discharge petition uh, to force a vote on the House floor on reauthorizing the Exim Bank. The last two times, uh, unless I'm missing one, that this was used was for uh, McCain-Feingold campaign finance law. Uh, and the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Uh, so, you know, the third time being uh, an obscure, uncontroversial bank that nobody cares about. Right. Uh, but it has, it has been become a pet cause for the Tea Party. And so it appears that the kind of 50 or so moderate Republicans that are still left said, okay, if the, if the 50 or so Tea Party folks want to try to wag this chamber, uh, we're going to sh- we're going to show what 50 moderate Republicans can do uh, if we're not working with the party. And so they they joined up with Nancy Pelosi and signed this discharge petition. Uh, so there are some adults apparently. Well, good. That. You know, uh, Ryan Grimm is with us on the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, in, in for Brad and Desi today. The um, yesterday, as this whole story was just breaking. Congressman Alan Grayson was with us here on the broadcast. And actually, you know, I called Congressman Grayson because just the day before he filed an ethics complaint against Kevin McCarthy and uh, Trey Gowdy as well, who's chairing that uh, sham of a Benghazi hearing, if, if you're to believe what Kevin McCarthy says anyway. So I, I called Alan Grayson to see if he perhaps thought he had anything to do with, uh, with Kevin McCarthy's um, change of a heart about seeking the speakership. And of course, he's like, well, you know, even Kevin McCarthy said, well, I could have said it better. Do you think that had anything to do with it? Or you think it's more the blackmail kind of uh, thing? I think, I think it did, because, you know, when when these personal issues come into play, it's only when other things have kind of opened up of a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are, you know, people like Walter Jones will say that and I think, you know, with some legitimacy that this is a national security issue because if you're ever hiding a big secret that you don't want it to get out, 
uh, and not saying that they were doing anything. I, I don't have any evidence that they were. But if you're hiding a big secret, uh, whether it's um, drug use uh, or an affair or whatever, you become susceptible to, to personal blackmail. And so that's why you know, intelligence agencies take uh, things like that you know, particularly seriously. And you know the Speaker of the House is you know is somebody that has you know has some national security that's implications. That's right. That's what that's what a lot of Republicans were kind of arguing. But but I think it, it you know to your earlier point, uh, you know the the vulnerability was created by by the Benghazi comments, and he really you know opened the door for the, the greater concern to get a, a, a broader airing. You know, I was thinking, uh, you know, at, in a humorous way that, okay, we're going to turn today's show into sort of the soap opera as Capitol Hill turns or something. And then things just got even crazier and not in a, a, a way that's easy to make fun of. As you know, Ryan Grimm, this nation is still reeling from the mass shooting in Oregon just last week. Nine people killed uh, by, by someone who never should have been allowed near a gun let alone have an arsenal of them. Well, this morning I awake to the news that at about, I don't know, one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, there was a shooting on the campus of, uh, I think it's Northern Arizona University. One person dead, three injured. And now, just a little while ago, shortly before we started taping, news of yet another shooting on a college campus in Texas where there had been a shooting earlier this week. We have gotten to crazy season and, um, you know, if, if you talk to some of our elected officials, they're like, well, guns aren't the problem. People are the problem. Do you ever envision anything happening in this Congress on guns? I don't know. You know, we, we went around the Capitol just a couple of days ago uh, with a question for as many you know, pro-gun senators as we could find that's, that was basically, well, what level of violence would cause you to rethink your your position yeah. on on background checks or or something else? Um, you know, what if there was a shooting twice a month? You know, mass shooting twice a month. What if it was what if it was once a week? Um, you know, what if they were every day? And then then here we have you know the, the, just a couple of days later two shootings. Um, uh, and you know none of them you know showed any kind of uh, interest in reflecting on that question. Um, that you know, there's the you know their position is their position, and that as Jeb Bush said, stuff happens. Uh, and so you know they'd much rather focus on on mental health or you know anything anything other than guns. Right. And or as you know, we shouldn't focus on you know mental health, but you know as the president has said, every country has. Uh, mentally ill people, but not every country has this. That's right. The thing is, we, we, uh, until we get the guns out of the hands of people, we're, we're bound to keep repeating these same mistakes. It's kind of um, shocking to awaken every morning and see, you know, I know you've got, you've got a, a young child or two. I've got a daughter in high school. It freaks me out when I hear, look, she's a couple of years away from going to college. I don't think I want to let her go on a college campus. Uh, you know, something's got to change. But until things change in D.C., uh, I, I I don't think we're gonna we're gonna get anywhere, and then there's another thing that we're looking at another story that is almost inconceivable, and especially today when uh, a lot of the world is commemorating uh, the day that would have been John Lennon's 75th birthday. Uh, Yoko Ono got a couple of thousand people together in Central Park at Strawberry Fields and made a giant peace sign, 
and yet we're learning more and more details with each day. And you've got a great piece up at Huffington Post about this. Great meaning something that you got to read, not not something you'll necessarily enjoy reading about, but about this U.S. airstrike on a Doctors Without Borders hospital in Afghanistan. And with each passing day, the, just the details get worse and worse, it seems. Yeah. And so now we've actually learned that the, the Afghan forces on the ground passed the recommendation to bomb that site to U.S. forces who were on the ground, who then relayed it to the pilots. But at least that's the latest from General Campbell, who testified yesterday, uh, which you know raises questions about where... Where were these U.S. soldiers, and how did they not understand uh, that what they were calling in a strike on was a hospital, or did they? And they didn't care because there were Taliban in there, or what? You know, it's uh, and what I wrote about, I believe, was yesterday, the day before, was that the conversation about this is different in Afghanistan than it is in the U.S. In the U.S., we're saying this was a terrible mistake. We're going to find out how this happened and make sure it doesn't happen again. In Afghanistan, they're saying this was not necessarily a mistake. There were Taliban in there, and uh, there, there's a, a strong argument being made by, the gov- by government officials and others over there that it was not a mistake. Um, so they need to get their story straight because uh, they collectively, you know, the U.S. and Afghanistan bombed this hospital. So was mm-hmm. it a mistake? Uh, or was it justified? Now, the U.S. says it was unjustified, and if it was done on purpose and it was unjustified, it's a war crime. Yes. Right? So now, Doctors Without Borders is calling for an investigation into a war crime by the United States. Um, And the United States is saying, "Uh, we'll investigate it ourselves. Trust us. We, we can do this. I, really? It's, isn't that akin to um, Iran, perhaps, saying, uh, you know what, we don't need the IAEA. We'll, we'll, we'll do all the nuclear inspections ourselves. You can trust us. Well, and Russia just accidentally bombed Iran. Iran, right. Yesterday, and I don't think that there's anybody in the U.S. who'd say, oh, sure, why don't we just let uh, Russia investigate sure. what happened? Sure, we'll let them investigate what they're doing in Ukraine as well. Yeah, right? they can just tell us when, yeah, when they finish their let report. Them tell us. But but here's my thing. I, I say bring it on. Investigate. Because um, you want to make sure that we don't make the same mistakes again. But I'm wondering, okay, great outrage <coughs> calls for investigation into war crimes. Where are the world's cries for an investigation into the Bush-Cheney-Rumsfeld uh, rice at all war crimes and getting us into Iraq in the first place. <laughs> yeah, those, they they seem to travel quite freely. Yeah, you know, it's like great. I, I agree. Investigate, but can we open up an investigation into that? Uh, look, I'm sorry, 22 people were killed in this hospital. It's horrific. It should never happen. But how many thousands or hundreds of thousands of people were killed? And you can even say uh, ISIS most likely would not be here today if we hadn't invaded Iraq. So, hello. Well, if Saddam, I mean, I don't know, if, I guess, how old would Saddam be? But, you know, certainly if Saddam were still in power, the country would not have fallen apart like this. Yeah. You know, he, he's no, uh, you know, he's no delicate Democrat, but, 
the country there would be a lot of people alive today who are who are not alive. Ah, so Ryan Grimm, it's like the weekend, and we have all this crazy news. I mean, it would be better if we could just be sort of giggling like the twelve-year-olds in and the Republican House Caucus are, uh, you know, about ooh, you know, the the the, the soap opera esque quality of it all. But there's really, I mean, there's <laughs> not a whole lot funny going on here. Um, yeah. It, 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 and and I guess we could look at the uh, the the you know the 2016 Republican field. And find funny there, too. But when you look at it more closely, it's like, wait a minute, that's not funny either, because one of those people could be president. (laughs) This is is true. Um, It's hard to believe sometimes, (laughs) but yes. One of those people will be nominated. I know, right? It goes from uh, crazy to um, completely insane. Aye, aye, aye. Ryan Grimm, there's a lot to digest. It figures Brad and Desi take off a few days right when the whole world goes nuts. So uh, leaves it, they leave it up to me to try to wade through it. So I appreciate your input and in trying to help us navigate these waters as well. It's My a pleasure. weird one. Ryan Grimm, find him at the Huffington Post. And by the way, you can subscribe to your newsletter. It's at tinyletter.com slash Ryan Grimm. Thank you, Ryan. Always great to talk with you. Uh, my pleasure. Okay, so we got through the house soap opera. Check. Gave you the latest on the bombing of the hospital in Afghanistan. Unbelievable. And next, we're going to deal with guns. Well, things over here are obviously getting worse. This week, the American media actually focused on the success they've had in Australia with their gun control laws. A little later on this hour, you're going to hear from former Australian Deputy Prime Minister Tim Fisher, who was in office in 1996 when the Port Arthur Massacre rocked that nation, leading to new gun laws that have prevented another mass shooting from happening there since. But before we do that, we're going to hear from a regular Australian citizen that I met today on Twitter he was tweeting about our insane gun problem over here. Don't go away. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, in for Brad Friedman on the Bradcast. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Or a few of them. 
Because, you know what? Why carry just one gun when you can carry an entire arsenal? Yeah. Uh, welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. In for Brad and Desi today. And unfortunately, our gun epidemic is getting worse. Um, I'll tell you, after last week, uh, the nation is still reeling from uh, the, the nine victims shot dead at that community college in Oregon. In fact, today, President Obama, as we speak, is um, in Oregon meeting with the victims' families. Of course, there's a whole bunch of protesters out there. But that's not the only gun story, unfortunately, that I have for you today. I woke up this morning to this news. ABC 15 breaking news. We want to get right to breaking news on this Friday. A school shooting happening right here in Arizona. We mm. know that one person is dead on Northern Arizona University's campus and three others have been injured. Let's get right over to the ABC 15 live desk. Dan, what's the latest on all of this? Oh, well, hopefully, Danielle, everyone has their uh, phones and their devices ready right now because this is going to be rapid fire information as we are just breaking this all down. Our crews working here at ABC 15 and on the roads headed up to the high country. Let's get straight to Twitter. This is what we saw this morning. Uh, NAU tweeting this out. I'm going to connect this right here. They were tweeting out about this uh, not on lockdown, the campus not on lockdown. Do we have that? I don't believe we have that right now. Well, we're breaking down all this information. As I said, NAU tweeting out a reported shooting on the campus, the shooter in custody, but they also specified Mountain View Hall residents stay indoors. More details to follow. And then they confirmed the details for victims. As you said, Danielle, one person shot and killed, three wounded, shooter in custody, and a stable situation. But again, we are working right now to gather the details as to what happened there on campus. Danielle. Okay, so yes, that was this morning, but already it's a distant memory because after that came news of another one. Yes, this time, let's see, uh, Texas Southern University in Houston, a few hours later, was on lockdown for much of the day after a fatal shooting at an apartment complex near the campus. But that's not all. Yes, that same campus, Texan Southern University, the police department there is also investigating reports of a shooting that occurred at around midnight on Thursday in the vicinity of the university courtyard apartments. But wait, there's more. One person was shot on that same campus Tuesday night after an argument following a museum event, according to the Houston Chronicle. And, not done yet, on September 26th, a TSU sophomore fired into a crowd at a student apartment complex, sending two people to the hospital. And I'll tell you, if you do a Google search just for the term shooting, you'll see a whole bunch more on any given day. Earlier this week, an Australian gun control group called Gun Control Australia made headlines here when the uh, director of the organization suggested a boycott of non-essential travel to America to protest our inaction on gun control. Actually, that's an idea I came up with a few years ago. Um, and in fact, I floated that idea to Australia's former Deputy Prime Minister, Tim Fisher, who was in office at the time of Australia's worst mass shooting in history, the one that led to a reform of all their gun laws. And Tim Fisher is the elected official who helped 
usher in those new gun laws. So we're going to have that interview in a little bit. But before we get to that, I want to share with you a conversation I had today with a young man from Australia who I met on Twitter. Matthew Manus was tweeting about what else? America's gun problems. Now, you tweeted something uh, that caught my attention, something to the effect of, in Australia, you were able to change things there. And, and you said, if you can do it there, you said, as, as long as it takes to educate a majority of the voting population, uh, I guess if we're patient enough, you're saying it can be done. Can I ask how old you are? I'm 21. You're 21. So in Australia, the closest thing you have to what we have here on an uh, all too regular basis was known as the Port Arthur massacre. You had a big mass shooting. I think it was back in 1996, right? Yes, when I was three years old. Ah, so, so all the knowledge I have of that event is um, through my own self-education, I guess. Wow. So you really grew up in this new era of gun laws in Australia yeah, because things changed there. For me, it's, it's something I can't stress enough that in Australia we just don't think about this kind of thing at all. It's non-existent. So what, what, what would happen? Uh, say you live in, I don't even know what part of Australia you live in. What, where I are live you? in Melbourne. In Melbourne. Okay. And, um, say you want to go on a hunting trip. How difficult would it be for you to get a gun to go hunting? People don't go on hunting trips no. in Australia really? unless you're in the, from the rural areas. Right. And even then, people in rural areas, um, not most of them have guns. And many, so many just farm farms farmers, they have guns, but they use them very wisely. And um, unfortunately, we do have a high rate of male suicide. Oh. Um, unfortunately, but um, that's just why, part of a wider problem we have with mental health. Um, yes, but okay, it's, but it's this is a, this problem. is a good topic here, though, because right now we do have a mental health issue. But I don't I don't think you can ascribe all these shooting episodes off to the shooters being mentally ill. Sure, that might be part of the problem, but we have a yes. bigger problem, which is the overabundance of guns on the streets. So do you yes. know anybody who owns a gun in Australia? No, I don't. Now, what about your parents? Because obviously, if you were about three when the Port Arthur massacre happened, uh, they were adults. Um, do they remember a time before the laws changed? Were, were things different there? My parents are too busy working ah. to to even have time to consider these sort of things. All they do is just watch the news every now and then. You woke up early this morning. Again, it's very early in the morning over there in Australia. Obviously, you went online. You saw that we had a, two more shootings here in the U.S. today, at least two more I that made the that. news. Oh, you didn't know that. Okay, well. No, I didn't you know, know that. Another day, another shooting. This is what it <laughs> is over here. Um, would you ever consider traveling to the U.S. on vacation, on holiday? I have, I have been to the U.S. briefly to Los Angeles. I was considering studying in really? America, like just for a, a week or two abroad during our winter. And to be honest, gun control was a actual topic on my mind, Wh whether I'm going to be safe at a, at a university there, you know, despite how prestigious or whatever the university may be. It was an issue on my mind, and I preferred to go to England. I don't blame you. Um, yeah. Now, do you know the name Christopher Lane? Uh, Chris Lane. Chris the, Lane. The, Australia? 
Australian college baseball player who was... No, I don't. He was over here going to college in Oklahoma City. This was two years ago. And he was out on a weekend jog, a run. And um, he was shot and killed by two teenagers who said they were bored. It was after that, the murder of Chris Lane, an Australian student studying here in the U.S., that I saw an interview with Tim Fisher, former Australian Deputy Prime Minister. And that's when I got this idea that I, I sent to you a little while ago that I think other nations need to issue um, strict travel advisories warning their citizens that it's just not safe to come to the U.S. Because I well, think the, I, I would, the, yeah. the only sounds, way... Sounds ridiculous. Don't go to the United States because there's gun, gun laws. It's something you would think about, something like Rwanda or, right? or Syria or Iraq. But to, for the American, that's just the idea of that boggles the mind to me, that you would, we would even consider talking about something like that, such as developed country as the U.S. and the, you know, sort of premier front runner for everything that we hold dear in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, technology, liberty, freedom, democracy, secularism, eco- the economy. Is everything. that really how, how we are looked upon in Australia? Well, by those who are educated enough to to know what the U.S. stands for. I mean, you don't have to be an educated sort of expert in foreign policy to know that the U.S. has a massive influence on the rest of the world. Just look at technology for the for the mm-hmm. moment. You've got Apple. You've got Apple. You've got Google. You've got Microsoft. You've got right. But we so have so many other but, companies. But but, but and but, these are companies that dominating the rest of the world. Right. But we have Donald Trump, too. <laughs> yes, you do. But I, to be honest, my gut feeling on him is that he's just, he's a little fad. Well, yes, I hope. I hope so, too. That, that the American people are just kind of flirting with at the moment. Oh, I, I hope so, too. So let because me ask if, you this. If he does make, look, I honestly hope that he does make the nomination because that would make Hillary's job a lot easier. Ah, so you're a Hillary supporter. What do you know about Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders is a, a great candidate. I think he's doing a, a great service to your country by opening up the debate to the left. Personally, I'm not a left or a right man. I'm very anodyne in my beliefs. I don't, I don't hold ascribed to any major political party. I just good for you. To I go for the to use the Winston Churchill to paraphrase him the least worst. Candidate. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, Bernie Sanders, you don't have to go to the worst. He's he's pretty awesome. Uh, we need more yeah, like him. He is. An yes, honest he, I think he, um, politician. It's it's yes. quite uh, he, uh, stunning. I, I tweeted about this in my, on my profile. The right had their fun with the Tea Party. Why don't the left have their own fun with their own party? Yeah, except Bernie well, Sanders the, the is not crazy, right, like the Tea yeah. Party is. So we're still dealing with all that. I don't know if you've seen the, the most recent uh, uh, stuff going on over here. We've got a real soap opera in Congress where the uh, John Boehner is leaving. Yes. The guy who was going to uh, take his place, Kevin McCarthy, at the last minute said yesterday, oh, never mind. There are rumors yes, of yes, affairs. It's, it's a regular soap opera. It's the, you know, the real congressman of Capitol Hill or something. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy over here. So it's nice to hear a voice of sanity from Australia. Uh, Matthew Minnis, I, I, you know, I saw you on Twitter. I saw you weighing in on our gun problem. It is a real problem. We have, a, obviously, as you know, a huge public debate going on. 
And uh, we've got people who think the Second Amendment is sacred, but they refuse to read the whole thing because the first four words of the Second Amendment read a well-regulated militia. And they ignore that part. So there I are think those... people forget that the Second Amendment itself is an amendment. So you uh, can amend yeah. an amendment. <laughs> well, yes, you can. It's good to talk with you. It's nice to hear a, a sane voice on the other side of the, the world caring about the same things that the sane voices over here are caring about. I really think that if uh, the citizens of the world could get together and and sort of push the leaders off, we we should send them to their own island and let them play their own (laughs) game of Survivor or something and let the rest of us get on with our lives. Uh, We might be better off. That sounds like an interesting idea. (laughs) All right. When we're ready to start, I'll give you a call. Okay. Thank you. Matthew, it was great talking to you. I'll, I'll see you on the Twitters. Thank you very much. An obviously intelligent young man from Australia who you can talk with as well. Tweet Adam at Matthew M-I-N-A-S. I truly believe that when the world's people talk with one another instead of world leaders talking at one another, we can get a whole lot more accomplished. All right. Up next, my conversation with former Australian Deputy Prime Minister Tim Fisher to find out how they did it over there. How did they enact sensible gun control laws that actually work? Next, on the broadcast, I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. In for Brad and Desi. Don't go away. Lots more still to come. One more Nicole. She's on live Monday through Friday from 10 to noon Eastern Time and repeating all day at RadioOrNot.com. Listen anytime. It is the Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, filling in for Brad Friedman today with a little taste of John Lennon's Imagine as we wrap up the week that would have brought John Lennon's 75th birthday. And the week that brought over 2,000 people to Central Park Strawberry Fields to form a giant peace sign under the direction of Yoko Ono. When we're talking guns... And it is uh, John Lennon's birthday week. Would have been his 75th birthday if he had not been shot dead 35 years ago. Think about it. With these instances of uh, gun violence, mass shootings coming faster, closer together, more more closely together than ever before, um, we need to do something about it. So uh, a couple of years ago, you might remember the story of Chris Lane. He's an Australian, he was an Australian uh, college tennis player who was studying in Oklahoma. He was out for a Saturday run and two bored teenagers shot him dead simply because they were bored. It was a few days after that I saw an interview with former Australian Deputy Prime Minister Tim Fisher where he suggested that his fellow Australians might not want to travel to the U.S., because it simply isn't safe. I took the idea a step further when I spoke to him on my show way back then. But I'll tell you, 
After uh, last week's shooting in Oregon, an Australian gun control group made news over here by suggesting the very same thing. Uh, great minds think alike. You know, Tim Fisher is a for the former deputy prime minister of Australia. He's an ex ambassador, now an author, businessman and cattle rancher. His latest two books are by ABC Books Australia, Trains Unlimited and Holy Sea, Unholy Me, 1000 Days in Rome. And I guess uh, that that uh, the, the latter title comes from your um, uh, year spent as the ambassador to the Holy See, huh? Greetings to you, and yes, it does. Tim, I'm thrilled that you agreed to join us today because I heard with great interest the interview you did with Pierce Morgan following the murder last summer of a young Australian uh, baseball player and college student who was living here in Oklahoma going to school. Uh, He was killed by three teenagers who should never have been allowed anywhere near a gun, much less owned one, and they said they were simply bored. These kind of things happen with horrible frequency here in the U.S., and I'm of the mind that something needs to be done. Now, you, again, you were um, Deputy Prime Minister in Australia. At the time, there was a horrible massacre uh, I guess uh, our Newtown massacre that happened last year brought back a lot of memories for the people in Australia uh, over a tragedy that occurred in 1996. Can you tell us what happened then? Yes, in Tasmania, the state uh, island state just south of Melbourne, um, there's a tourist uh, area known as Port Arthur, and uh, it's an old fort and uh, pleasant Sunday afternoon cafe, uh, uh, up to 100 visitors, when a young man uh, picked up a gun and shot uh, at uh, will uh, until eventually accosted, uh, taking out some 35 people uh, in our worst massacre, uh, the Port Arthur massacre, and one which uh, uh, was the opportunity for Australia to take a decisive turn away from the NRA-type policy approach uh, and um, make a difference under the then political leadership of Prime Minister John Winston Howard. Myself as Deputy Prime Minister and many others uh, came on board, including state and federal governments, to make a real difference at make that a turning point. Now, what, what were the gun laws like prior to that in, in Australia? They, they were not in harmony. They were somewhat disjointed. Uh, between the states, there was no uh, overall uh, link of computers with regard to gun uh, weapon registration, uh, let alone with regard to shooters' licenses. And so it became uh, quite uh, a chance for those uh, who wanted... It was a laissez-faire approach which allowed uh, the wrong people to have the wrong type of guns. In fact, we had uh, semi-automatics, uh, in the suburbs uh, to cut to the chase and uh, even worse. And uh, therefore, um, it was crying out for action and it certainly hit the top of the policy priority list in the aftermath of that dreadful massacre. Uh, but even so, there was a lot of pushback and resistance to uh, executing sensible change. So, but but sensible change you made, and then some. Because what is it like today in Australia? What what kinds of um, uh, how often do you see gun violence or uh, gun murder? You know, gun uh, gun murders in Australia these days. 
This is why I'm even happy enough to come on board and uh, uh, visit with uh, Mayor Bloomberg's campaign in the Midwest of the USA, in a Montana or in a Georgia, because um, it did work. It did make a difference. Uh, we have not had, touch wood, one gun massacre, death of four or more, in, the U, uh, in Australia uh, since 1996. Wow. Uh, it's reached a stage now where you are 15 times or more likely to be shot dead in the USA per million people than here in Australia. Uh, things have, uh, even if there are, uh, sadly there probably will be at some stage, uh, a form of gun massacre, it's off a more limited basis because the suburbs have been effectively drained of semi-automatics and the business of carrying guns into universities, into churches, uh, allowing concealment of guns in some of the states of the USA simply does not exist here in Australia where our program protects the rights of sporting shooters, protects the rights of cattle ranchers and others uh, to have guns. I have guns, I own guns, um, but it requires simply a registration of those weapons and a, um, uh, a qualification that you are an adequate shooter and that you can have a shooter's license. Uh, and and um, this is not an imposition uh, even if we had a form of uh, the Second Amendment, I would still regard the Australian gun laws as being compliant and successful and protecting gun owners and cattle ranchers to have guns, but stopping massacres effectively stopping massacres completely. Right. Uh, again, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Tim Fisher. He's a former Deputy Prime Minister of Australia and was in office when Australia suffered its worst massacre uh, back in 1996 and um, helped to usher through some common sense gun regulations. And and the outcome is tangible, as, as uh, Mr. Fisher just told us. Not a single mass killing, over four people killed since 1996, since those laws were put in place. Um, now, obviously, you follow what's going on over here in the States, and it's, uh, it's, it's truly sickening. I mean, it's the only way I can describe it. We have an NRA that, uh, while it used to represent, I think, the, the rights of gun owners, uh, responsible gun owners, now it's more of a lobbying arm for the arms industry, for the gun industry, for uh, uh, gun makers. Um, and, uh, you know, the propaganda is out of hand. They just had their big NRA convention last weekend, and the bloodlust is almost palpable. And they talk about, you know, the right to bear arms as uh, uh, equated with freedom um, uh, without bothering to, you know, note that actually the right to life is, is I think, uh, more freedom than the right to own a gun. Um, you know, we, the, the, I think the world looked on in horror uh, back in December of, of 2012 when 20 little first graders were gunned down, were murdered in their classroom, um, and the six adults who tried to help them. And I thought if anything would make... Um, you know, the, the legislators in this country do something, that would be it. But if that can't motivate them to take action and, and enact some background checks, some common sense laws, um, can you imagine anything that would? I mean, what advice can you give us to uh, shake some sense into these people? 
it's certainly uh, no uh, excuse to say, look, it's just too hard. Uh, we have the Second Amendment often misinterpreted. Uh, we have uh, the safety checks of the Senate and um, split between the administration and the White House and the U.S. Congress. Uh, therefore, we'll just uh, continue to allow states to pass even more extreme gun laws and uh, just close our eyes to uh, uh, the outcome of that and further shelter more and more into cocoons of safety and ghettoize American society. That's a pathway you can avoid. That's a pathway you need to avoid, in my view. I respect uh, the fundamentals of the U.S. Constitution and the right for the U.S. to choose its path, but it should do so with open eyes. And here in Australia, it was a major political battlefield. I was attacked the length and breadth of the country. I was accused as a Vietnam veteran of letting down the side by supporting sensible gun laws, and I was hung in effigy <gasps> at a place in Queensland uh, whilst attending a meeting uh, inside a hall where eventually a 12-year-old high school student stood up and completely nailed the case as to why sensible gun laws make a lot of sense, uh, allowing people uh, of need and people of desire to have guns, but essentially draining the suburbs of their semi-automatics and concealed guns. You are getting to a stage in the USA where Australians should think very carefully about travelling to the USA, travelling to a Georgia or a Montana with their extreme uh, gun laws. And I have publicly advised people here just to weigh the risk factor. Um, yes, there's always risk in travel period to any country in the world period. But uh, the situation with guns on the streets in the USA has reached a, a tipping point. And in fact, uh, your warning was the, the, the other thing that made me want to reach out to you and, and, and track you down. And I'm glad I did because I heard you in this interview. And here's the quote. You said, it is another example of murder mayhem on Main Street. People thinking of going to the USA for business or tourist trips should think carefully about it, given the, given the statistical fact that you were 15 times more likely to be shot dead in the USA than in Australia per capita. And here's my my thought, Tim, if if the massacre of 26 and 7-year-olds in their classroom can't motivate our elected officials or politicians here in the U.S. to take action, I guess the only thing that motivates these people is money. And maybe we need to hit them in the pocketbook. And if we start costing uh, this country big cities, small cities, tourist attractions, if we start costing uh, tourist dollars— um, then maybe they'll sit up and take notice. I was thrilled that you said, you know, you you warned people they should think twice before coming here. But I think we need to take it a step further. And I know you're no longer in Parliament. You're no longer Deputy Prime Minister. Um, but how, how can we go about getting countries like Australia, perhaps, you know, uh, England and 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 other countries that have had similar issues. They've had they've they've been hit by a tragic gun violence uh, a massacre incident that that made them take action and things have gotten better. How do we make those countries to take an official stand and really issue a travel advisory warning their citizens against coming here? The case is building and it's going to happen um, sooner rather than later. And when you have uh, 
the death uh, on a pleasant afternoon of young Mr. Lane, in, uh, an Australian in uh, uh, the USA, yeah. uh, that just nails the case further. So uh, I, uh, I think uh, there is going to be a dawning of realisation, notwithstanding the worst and best efforts of the NRA. And yes, I saw some of the footage from their recent annual meeting. I think uh, people who have brains, who have served in the United Nations as ambassador for the USA, no mean position in the hierarchy of the world, uh, are going to have to uh, look in the mirror and uh, um, use their brains uh, or face uh, the alternative of a descent into absolute lawlessness. And Mayor Bloomberg deserves uh, credit and others for stepping up uh, to uh, bring uh, pressure to bear to turn the corner, use this tipping point to make a difference before it's too late and before even more people are gunned down uh, unnecessarily. It is sapping the will on the performance and the productivity and the peace of uh, the USA, the NRA, has much to answer for. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, you nailed it. Um, and again, I, I, I can't help but wonder if, if uh, you know, the Newtown massacre didn't get our politicians to do something, to do anything. Nothing was done in the wake of that. Uh, two mass shootings at Fort Hood, um, a, a, a massacre in a movie theater. Uh, it's just the, the incidents that goes on and on. It is an epidemic. And maybe the only way to get our elected officials to take action is to hit them in the pocketbook to cause and financial that is hardship. a way forward. But the, Nicole, the Washington Post table looking uh, at arm's length, country by country, mm -hmm. just shows how bad it is in the USA versus uh, most other OECD countries. Uh, even Italy is better. Uh, it's, it's incredible uh, that where I served as an ambassador, where there's uh, talk of the ongoing existence of the mafia and the Camorra, and yet uh, uh, you are safer in Italy than you are in the United States of America, the so-called land of the three. Mm, it is. It is sickening. That chart, by the way, uh, will have uh, in an article that I wrote in the homework section at randyroads.com. It's also on my blog at radioornot.com. Tim Fisher, I can't thank you enough. And uh, I'm sure the people of Australia now, almost two decades later, the, so, probably many of the same who uh, I can't believe burned you in effigy. How frightening is that? Um, I'm guessing they've come around and realized that you can have uh, common sense laws, regulations, background checks, and still enjoy the freedom of a firearm when necessary, or even for sport, but uh, remain safer in society because of it. Yes? Nicole, common sense hopefully will eventually prevail because uh, here in Australia, uh, we reached the tipping point, we changed our laws, we harmonized our laws, we protected the rights of people to own guns, uh, but introduced some uh, safety and harmonization that made a huge difference. No gun massacres since 1996. I urge the USA to look closely at the Mayor Bloomberg campaign, related campaigns, 
and make your streets safe again before it is too late. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Former Deputy Prime Minister of Australia, Tim Fisher, proving it can be done. Yes, you can take away the guns. Now, nobody over here is advocating for that. Actually, nobody in elected office is advocating for that. Maybe it's time someone does. Ah, and with that, we're about done for today. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. Always my pleasure to fill in for Brad and Desi here at the broadcast. In fact, we'll do it one more time before they return. All right? So we'll see you next time. In the meantime, thanks to Brad Friedman. Thanks to Desi Doyen. Thanks to Ryan Grimm. To our, our new Australian friend, Matthew Manas and to former Australian Deputy Prime Minister Tim Fisher as well. This weekend, stay safe, okay? Stay away from the guns, okay? And, as Brad Friedman would say, good luck, world.